0: I'm U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow, and I'm listening to The Tom Sumner Show.
1: Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to the show. I'm Tom Sumner. It's Wednesday, which, of course, means Armchair Politics is coming up uh, at uh, 10 o'clock, or the uh, second and third hour of our three-hour tour for two hours of uh, commentary and analysis about... Um, local, state, and national headlines in the world uh, uh, worlds of politics and current events, with uh, political operative Bobby Clayton Walton joining our roundtable regulars, Paul Rosicki on the left and Henry Hatter on the right, so stay tuned for that. But this first hour is going to be uh, really interesting, I think, as we talk to... Uh, A uh, very close advisor and former deputy campaign manager from Senator Bernie Sanders' 2020 presidential campaign who has written a book about the experience uh, called The Fighting Soul on the Road with Bernie Sanders. It just came out, uh, uh, or it comes out, well it came out this week. earlier this week, April 25th, uh, 2022, and uh, his name is uh, Ari Rabin Haft, and he joins me by phone. Ari, good morning and welcome to the show, sir. Thanks for having me. Um, were you Acquainted with Bernie Sanders, um, I, I get the impression that you were uh, acquainted with Bernie Sanders for a long time before the that um, that exciting twenty twenty run.
2: Well, I I started working for uh, Bernie in twenty seventeen. Before that, I only had minimal. Uh, uh, I knew of him and I, I admired him and I. Had written a pro, I'd written two profiles of him, one for the New York Observer, one for, um, one for The American Prospect uh, over time. Uh, he also I used to be a radio host, and he came on he had been a guest on my radio show um, uh, at the time. So I had some familiarity with him, but I, I had been a political operative for years before I started doing more media and radio. But after 2016, I decided I need to kind of get back in. And I spoke to my old boss, uh, Harry Reid, and he was basically like, hey, you and Bernie are the same person. You should be working for Bernie. And uh, and Shakir, who ended up as Bernie's campaign manager, was talking to Bernie at that point uh, about his Senate office. And Faz was like, who I, I was close with, and Faz was like, wait, Ari, you should be working for Bernie. Faz made the connection, and Bernie and I met in December 2016, and I started working for him shortly thereafter. And
1: then, and then, how did it evolve, Ari? That his decision to run for the 2020 uh, presidential uh, election happened in your apartment.
2: Well, let, let me slightly correct that. The first meeting of the campaign. Was in my apartment. Okay. Um, he actually didn't decide to run until a year after that meeting. Um, <laughs> what, what basically had occurred is, was is that
1: the old exploratory
2: committee. Uh, <laughs> no, it was it was he was legitimately torn about whether he should run or not, whether he was the best candidate, whether he whether he was uh, whether there were better people, whether he was the person to beat Donald Trump. Um, And those of us around him and those of us closest to him, Jeff Weaver, myself, um, Tim Tagaris, several others, were telling him, hey, if you're going to run in 2020, it's not like the 2016 race. Like in 2016, he kind of walked outside the Capitol building, literally walked outside the Capitol building, onto the lawn there, was like, I'm running, and then kind of walked back inside. He goes, I got to go do all the business, right? (laughs) And the campaign had time to ramp up. In, 20, in 2020, it wasn't going to be like that, right? He would be expected to come out of the gate with kind of a fully formed, fully operational machine that could immediately hold giant rallies, immediately be raising millions of dollars, immediately have, have, communi- have uh, capacity for communication staff and all this other stuff. And the problem with that is those things don't materialize out of thin air. And we were telling him, you know, whether you run or not, we need time to prepare. We need time so when you say I'm running, we're not just scrambling for two weeks to try to put together a, a machine. We need, we need a year to, to just do the formulative stuff because, I mean, I, it's, what I'm going to say is kind of obvious, but people just don't think about it in this way. You think about a presidential campaign, it's one of the most insane um, uh, corporations in the history of the world. It literally is. You literally have to have a corporation. You have a corporation because you have to file paperwork to make it a corporation because you have to have bank accounts and all that. But what I mean is you start a company, you raise, 200, you raise and spend $200 million in one year, you hire and lay off 1,000 staff members, in one year. You're, you're located in dozens of states. You have to put on a traveling show that rivals most major concert acts, and you have to do it while under the glare of the national media reporting on every single thing you do every day. Um, it's, it's kind of an insane thing, and you can't just pull that out of nowhere. So we convinced him very begrudgingly, to gather in my apartment, which we did it in my apartment because it was a, frankly, a more secure... He didn't want the meeting to be anywhere that could be seen. It couldn't be in the Capitol. That would be against the law, frankly. And he didn't want to do it at, like, an office of somebody because if if he did, it, you know, somebody can walk in, somebody could walk by. and He wanted to have very frank conversations. And my apartment is kind of was in a good location where he felt everyone could have very frank conversations in a private setting that nobody could walk in on who was an outsider. So we ended up doing this conversation 2018 where we talked about how to set up the campaign, what we needed to do, some initial research we had conducted on what the field would look like, um, and other strategic matters.
1: Uh, oh, by the way, Ari, I just just wanted to comment. You you slipped into a little impression of Burton when you were talking about his announcement on the Capitol lawn, <laughs> and, you, and you sounded just like him.
2: I mean, sometimes you know you gotta I, I just do that. <laughs> <laughs> um.
1: So once once this uh, this ball got rolling, was it? was it really in it to win it or was it the hope that that Bernie's ideas which have always been considered very progressive would make their way
2: into the discussion oh no he was in to win he was in he wasn't running cuz he thought some, think, I mean, you know like, how I that
1: works. Was, Sometimes with third-party candidates, they get in the race, and they no, take he, it real seriously, hoping they can change the conversation.
2: No, he was – this. 2020 was not that. 2020 was a a real – was. his analysis was he was only going to run if he thought he was running to win. And, look, it was – we knew it was a 20-person primary, and, you know, that meant – that meant any candidate was, like, was likely to be negative against the field, right? Any, like, the likelihood is if anyone running, when you have a 20-person field, you know, you're in a good place if, 70, if you have a 25% chance against a 20-person field. Um, he thought winning the primary would be difficult. He thought it would be an uphill battle, but he was certainly in it to win it.
1: How did the um conversations about his viability against Donald Trump
2: sound. Uh we were I mean this is where our research and our our like real uh, um thought process in this because that was a big it, that was a big uh moment for him a big thought, a big uh, point of like contention in his own mind. He didn't want Donald Trump to be reelected. He wasn't going to run unless he thought he would beat Donald Trump. And uh, the, that, that case we became fairly certain of, and it was basically a mathematical case. And here it was. I can just lay it out very simply, right? We have an electoral college situation where it's just you're adding states. So as a baseline, you take the states that Hillary won in 2016. And are there any of those states where Bernie would lose? And we looked, and the answer was no. They're just not, there were none of those states where any Democratic candidate would lose. No Democratic candidate would can lose any of the states Hillary won in 2016. That was just kind of, that's what the research bared out, that were the facts. So now you have to add in, you have to add in, Numbers and you you add in Wisconsin, Michigan, and Pennsylvania, where you know our own campaigns' research in uh, which I include in the book in in the spring in the and during the campaign showed Bernie up double digits against Trump, and the reason for that is there was a number of people who did not turn out, frankly, in 2016 um, for a number of reasons. In the upper midwest who would turn out for bernie uh, based on a lot of issues including his stand on trade they weren't they weren't people who would vote these were some obama voters some others who they wouldn't have voted for trump but they weren't they weren't turning out because they for uh for hillary for a number of reasons including the the bill clinton and nafta which You can say is fair or unfair. It was just a reality where Bernie didn't have those problems. And our research showed we could win. We would win pretty handily those three those three states. Um, And then people ask about some other states. Let's go through them. Um, There was an article this week where some people did not like the fact that I pointed out we didn't think any Democrat would win Florida. We thought Florida was expensive and a waste of time uh, in terms of a presidential run. Um, And, look, I think that Joe Biden didn't lose Florida, I think, to Donald Trump. We thought Florida was always going to be a hard and very expensive place to campaign. Um, And on the other side, we found Nevada and Arizona really good states for Bernie even though they tend to be more conservative. And the reason is because Bernie has such incredible popularity among the Latino community that he can, that he, he wins those States pretty easily based on that just formidable popularity in those communities, Um, which, which, you know, builds an electoral map that, uh, that is a winning map. And that was our, that was our firm belief, and our firm, our and our firm belief, and it was not; it was an informed belief based on research and other data. It wasn't; we weren't just kind of pulling it out of our butts. Um, was that you put that map together and Bernie wins?
1: All right, looking in from the outside, I remember thinking as as I saw um, Trump's campaign and and its uh, rallies and so on, and Bernie's campaign and its rallies. It, it seemed, looking in from the outside and without the expertise and the data that you had, um, that there was an appeal by both of those candidates to a lot of the same people that aren't part of traditional politics, that aren't Republicans, aren't Democrats. And, and so in, in some ways, it looked like maybe Bernie and, and uh, Donald Trump were pulling from the same
2: pool. Um, not particularly, um, there were certain elements about Donald Trump voters that just don't match Bernie voters. Number one, just the sizable Latino population in our vote and at our rallies just doesn't match in Donald Trump's world. Um, there was some among certain, in, uh, in certain geographies, there certainly was some of that, but it's more, it's more. There are groups of people who don't feel the political process serves them, All right, right, and they're um, not.
1: Ari, right, forgive me for interrupting, but I have to go to a break here. Can you stick around so we can talk some more?
2: Sure.
1: All right. My, uh, my guest is Ari rabin Hoft. He uh, was the deputy, uh, deputy campaign manager for Bernie Sanders' 2020 presidential campaign. He has a new book about it, and we'll be back with more right after
2: this. Hello, out there, everybody. It's me, Tigger, T I double gr that spells Tigger. And don't forget to remember to listen to Tom Sumner's program, on account of because he's so bouncy. <laughs> I'm Julie
3: Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do you can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters.
4: Our lives have been turned upside down by COVID-19. When a vaccine becomes available, it's critical that all of us get it. What we do as individuals will impact everyone's health, including those who can't get the vaccine. We won't get through this unless everyone takes part. Now is the time to get up to date on all recommended vaccines for both kids and adults. Experts say it's more important than ever for everyone to get their flu vaccine this year. And if you're older, you should get both the flu and pneumonia vaccines since both illnesses can make COVID-19 even worse. Vaccines are available at a lot of convenient places,
1: Hey, welcome back, everybody. We continue our conversation about the uh, 2020 presidential election with the uh, former deputy campaign manager for Bernie Sanders, who has written a new book about the experience, The Fighting Soul on the Road with Bernie Sanders by Ari Robin Hoft. And he joins me by phone. Um, Ari, welcome back. Thanks for sticking around. Sorry to make you sit through all that. Uh, no problem. Um, Ari, you know, when uh, when Bernie first, when he ran for president the first time, and you characterized it as sort of parenthetical, he went out on the Capitol lawn, said, I'm going to run, but well, i got to go back in and do some more work. Um, but uh, it was, it, it seemed a little strained because he had not, for a lot of his career in the Senate identified as a Democrat. He was considered an independent Um, to some people. He was sort of that crazy independent from out East. Um, How was his relationship with the Democratic Party by time we got to 2020?
2: I mean, that's an interesting story, and I get into some of this in the book. There were, first off, conversations among advisors about whether he should declare himself a Democrat, he rejected that completely and I think that's part of the Bernie uh, of who he is. He felt like he's not going to seemingly change because of politics that would be that would be the anti antithet- that, that would be the antithesis of kind of how Bernie operates right He's not going to say he's a Democrat at the same time uh, when he was you know when he came to Congress in the early '90s it, frankly, the House of Representatives, a lot of people, really treated him very poorly. I have a, you know, in, in the book, I quote Bill Richardson in, in, in Bernie's first term, referring to him as a homeless waif. Um, <laughs> and uh, Bill Richardson, the former H- House member who became uh, ambassador to the United Nations and a number of other senior positions in the Clinton and Obama administrations, um, he, he called Bernie a homeless waif at the time. Um, and you, the leadership treated him badly, and it was, oh my God, there's a, it was the end of the Cold War at that point, point. the Cold War just ended, oh my God, there's a socialist in Congress, oh my God, oh my God. And But when he gets to the Senate, it's a completely different story. Um, Harry Reid and Chuck Schumer recruited him to run for Senate when, when Jim Jeffords retired. He was their number one choice for a candidate in Vermont because he had such huge popularity, and Chuck Schumer and Harry Reid are two guys who just care about winning, frankly. And they saw Bernie wins in Vermont, and we're just going to get behind him. So he was welcomed into the Senate. He was, he was welcomed as a colleague. It was a much uh, different experience with Harry Reid. You know, Bernie and Reid will talk about, I quote Reid in my book, saying to me, like, you tell everybody, like, Bernie basically got um, – all the money for community health centers in the in the Affordable Care Act, because I worked with him on it, which was true. Like Harry Reid partnered with Bernie Sanders to get all this money in the Affordable Care Act for community health centers, which is something Bernie really cares about. He had he had partners in the Senate in a, in leadership for the first time. Then after 2016 and before 2016, I should say, he's given a committee chairmanship, the Veterans Committee right after 2016 he joins leadership then he's chair of the budget committee he has real he's not a democrat he doesn't call himself a democrat but at this point he's been a member of the democratic caucus for 30 for more than 30 years in congress he's a member of democratic leadership he's chaired two separate committees for the democratic party in congress but i think he still he does still feel that He is outside the system, and he is, and his independence from that system is one of the things he thinks gives him strength with voters. Um, On the other side of that, and I discussed this debate in the book, there were a number of advisors who point out we are in a much more partisan era than ever before in the United States. And voters who are in the parties wear a jersey for their team, and they want their candidates to put on the jersey. And Bernie's not one to put on a jersey just because there's a political benefit. I tell the story in the book about the Jim Clyburn's, Jim Clyburn's world-famous fish fry, which is, an, a year, <laughs> which is a political event in South Carolina. And all the candidates come to Jim Clyburn's world-famous fish fry. And he was once asked, why, is it, why do you call it world-famous? He said, because it's my world. You're just entering it. Um, oh, that's funny. And. There's this moment, him and I are backstage We will have one staffer backstage Him and I are backstage It's the first moment all of the candidates are in one room together And like, it's first off Incredibly interesting watching this dynamic unfold Where certain candidates are like Really excited just to kind of be there Like Tom Steyer is like Kind of excited just to be there And like Bernie is in a corner talking to like uh elizabeth warren amy klobuchar like his friends and uh, Gillibrand. there they're all kind of having side conversations with people who knew each other joe biden comes in and him and bernie hadn't seen each other since the start of the race and there you know it's the first time i see them and you see that wow these guys are actually friends with each other like these guys actually have a lot of affection for each other um there and it's not like bernie's a friend that you know. You hang out and you go to dinner with. That's just not who Bernie is, but you could just tell the sheer amount of affection. So the Jim Clyburn staff comes by, this is where we get to the thing, and they want every candidate to put on a Jim Clyburn fish fry t shirt.
1: Oh no. And so you have
2: <laughs> you have twenty candidates, all of whom are vying to be the most powerful person in the world. Right? And they're all wearing basically an ill fitting, you know, T shirt that that like looks stupid on everybody. And Bernie, I give Bernie the T-shirt. He puts it on, and two minutes later, he takes off. I'm not. I'm not wearing it. And him and I get into a debate. It's like everyone's wearing this. You have to wear the T-shirt. No, I'm not wearing it. Right. And we go back and forth, and we argue about this. And he goes out on stage and gives his speech. The only candidate not wearing the T-shirt. Right. He's not gonna put on the jersey just because you <laughs> want to. Do. By the way, Jim Clyburn's staff at this point looks like they want to kill me. And I'm like, what do you want me to do? I I can't like stuff the t-shirt on the guy's head. Like, what what do you want me to do here, guys? And you know, in those moments, I say this in the book, in those moments, you you wish as a political staffer in that position that sometimes your candidate would be a bit more the type of candidate who would just read his script, do what he's supposed to do, and do that. And then afterwards, you realize that's why you love Bernie, because he's not going to do that, because he is going to say, guys, we are, we are people here competing in like a ser- for a serious thing that will impact the lives of billions of people on this planet. You really have to dress us up in costumes? Like, you know, that's that's going to be Bernie. He's going to exist in that reality. Now, he did put on the T-shirt to take the group picture. He thought that was appropriate. But, but he's not going to do it just because you want him to, right? He's going to do what he thinks is right. He's going to put on the jersey, the shirt, when he thinks it's appropriate to put on the shirt. And he's not going to do it because some political advisor told him to. The,
1: um... You know, along those uh, along those lines, uh, you mentioned uh, his relationship with some of the other people in the field, um, that some of the other Democrats that were running. What was it about Bernie that appealed so much to young people, even over some of the candidates that you mentioned? Uh, Kamala Harris and Klobuchar and, and Pete Buttigieg and, and some of the other. I think, it's,
2: I, think it's, I think it's a few things. I think, first of all, he, he, Bernie has the belief that young people have a natural uh, BS detector in their, in their heads, and they can tell when somebody's lying to them. And, and he's, he just doesn't say what he doesn't mean right and that's he will only he doesn't he doesn't even have the ability to say what he doesn't mean uh what he's tried he just completely flops like you just don't want him to do that because it doesn't work and so first off he fits that second it's because he truly values the voices of young people and what i mean by that is i i tell i have a few of these stories sprinkled throughout the book but there were so many times we were on the road once we were traveling across Iowa. And this was I, I, before the presidential campaign. And we pulled over at this community college just because we saw we could use a bathroom there. And at the community college where we pulled the car over, there was a band competition going on with, like, high school marching bands, like, competing with each other. Yeah. And Bernie just started walking up to the kids and engaging them in like serious conversation hey uh, what do you think about this hey what do you what what are your thoughts on these issues and and the kids all knew who he was which says something right yeah and but also but also he didn't want like he wasn't just there to take selfies with them he wanted to hear what they had to say hey how are you going to pay for college? What are you thinking about? What's going on in your life? What can government do for you? What should I, as a politician, know from you? And it wasn't, look, it was one of those things where I was there and I always had a camera on me, and then we actually had a videographer, videographer traveling with us most of the time, and the videographer, like, sets up to shoot, and he waves him up. He's like, no, don't shoot this. And there's no press there, and there's no, so there's no public value to this. He legitimately wanted to hear these kids' voices, right? And that happened so many times. We'd be someplace, there'd be a group of young people, and he'd just want to hear what they had to say. And the the third thing is just straight on policy. I think there's a recognition that Bernie is a guy who is promoting policies that will not benefit him in any significant way, but benefit the next generation. And I think there's a real appreciation of that, like, medicare for all bernie gets you know first he gets his the congressional health plan he also gets medicare right so he'll never have to go without health insurance but he's fighting for for other people's health insurance bernie when bernie went to college college was actually affordable and in some cases for he's fighting for other people to have that same opportunity um you know you go down these these issues the uh, is his belief uh, in climate change as the most existential threat to our country. Look, I I hope he lives forever, but in truth, he will be long gone by the time climate change is, you know, we're seeing the impact now, but the worst impacts that people talk about, he will be gone by, right? But it's about the world that his grandchildren will inherit is what he really cares about and what his mission is. And I think there's a real People have a real sense of that, and that's why young people
1: support him. Ari, you were talking about how, how uh, tough it was on you when some of the uh, Clyburn staff would, you know, try and get you to get Bernie to wear the shirt. Um, and you said sometimes, yeah. as a political operative, you just you wish the candidate would just wear the shirt. Um, did you cringe when he got? And and I want to say he sort of got. Oh. Uh, steered into using the phrase democratic socialist?
2: No, I mean he's used that phrase for thirty years. Like that's the phrase he for forty years actually. But for a lot of people, they longer. didn't
1: really hear it until this this presidential campaign, this big one. Right, but he but this this gets to Bernie, right?
2: He's that's what he said he is. And he is he is claimed He's claimed that mantle for forty, for forty years, and he's not going to change that mantle because somebody thinks it politically benefits him. I, in fact, interestingly, one of the the profile I wrote of him for the New York Observer um, was about this very issue, and what it basically said was, you know, Bernie's blend of democratic socialism, what he what he actually believes, takes most of its roots. Not, not even from European social democracy, which I think a lot of people tie it to, you know, uh, but, but takes its roots from actually uh, Theodore Roosevelt's Bull Moose Progressive Party in 1912. When you look at those agendas, they line up. I think the second thing it takes its roots from is Franklin Roosevelt's uh, second Bill of Rights in 1944. And, you know, it's a very his basic beliefs are tied to kind of those two, those two moments. And in kind of two quintessential, by the way, uh, iconic American presidents, right? Uh, The two Roosevelt's uh, and he, you know, Theodore Roosevelt with his beliefs in kind of trust busting, anti-corruption, you know, um, government that, that actually serves democratic interests. And then, Franklin Roosevelt's second Bill of Rights, which was about an economic Bill of Rights for this country where you would guarantee housing, guarantee a job, guarantee uh, wages, guarantee health care, that part of the Franklin Roosevelt speech. So, no, I, I never cringed at the label because the label was who Bernie was. And if he had said, like, if Bernie had said, I'm not going to be a democratic socialist, it would have been weird. Um and it wouldn't have worked, and it would have gone at the one thing that Bernie had over every other candidate,
1: which is he's completely authentic. Well, speaking of, of the other candidates, and as you pointed out earlier, Ari, there were 20 running, and he knew several of them from their time in the Senate. Um, but what happened between Bernie and uh, Elizabeth Warren during the debates, because they seemed to be very much part of the same ideological curve. They were sort of at the same end of that lineup of, of people
2: and ideas. Well, a few things that I note in the book. One, um, we, from the start, our research bared out that Elizabeth Warren and Bernie were had very different the different sets of uh, voters, Warren voters. We we classified this on the campaign as beer track versus wine track. That you know, the, our voters had lower incomes, less education, uh, were actually more racially diverse, um, and were much closer. There were there was a much if you did a Venn diagram of whose voters swap with who. Bernie Biden voters were a lot more common than Bernie Warren voters in this race. And Interesting. while they're both identified while they're both identified in the media as ideologically alike, they actually are very ideologically different. They happen to both be uh, they, they align on a lot of issues. But you know, Elizabeth Warren is I'm a capitalist to my soul, to my bones, is what she said. And like Bernie, that's not Bernie obviously. Um uh, but also you know, Elizabeth Warren voters were a lot more likely to like Amy Klobuchar and Pete Buttigieg than Bernie. And Bernie's voters and Biden's voters were very similar. The big difference was if you Biden voters towards the end were much more believed that Biden was they agreed with Bernie on issues and believed Biden was more electable. But liked both of them, based on a lot of uh, class issues, actually.
1: What was the the um, oh the the encounter with Facebook? It seemed like uh, Bernie was doing pretty pretty well with the Facebook crowd.
2: Oh well that yeah so so phase this is actually really I, I think in light of Elon Musk's purchase of Twitter this this story becomes even more important. yeah um, uh, Facebook. Bernie has always been somebody who wanted to, like, do media in a way, and when he was mayor of Burlington, he had a TV show, The Mayor Speaks, where he'd go out and interview <laughs> people in the community um, on public access TV in Burlington, and in 2017, he started realizing the power, and we showed him kind of the power of Facebook Live and and doing much more with video than he had ever done before. and. Our numbers, and this was not from a campaign perspective. This was actually in the government send office, and we were using Facebook for the send office to communicate on all sorts of not political, kind of on issues, on 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 stuff the Senate office would communicate about. And we were growing, growing, growing. And then one day, the growth just stopped hard. And on on. Facebook, but didn't stop first off on any other social media platforms. So we very much got the feeling they slipped the a button in the algorithm. And this led to a series of meetings with Facebook between our office and Facebook executives. And during the series of meetings, this included some of the most senior Facebook executives, including Adam Massari, who then was head of Newsfeed and is now head of Instagram. Um, it included a phone call with Sheryl Sandberg. It, you know, it was, it was not like we were meeting with the junior staffers, right? It was the highest levels of the company, though he never met with Zuckerberg, actually. But, you know, that, that highest levels of Mossari and Sandberg are certainly two of the biggest executives in, at, I guess it's Meta now. Um, and this, this issue kept popping up, and we kept talking to them about, about when you're talking about a government office, communicating with its constituents how do you kind of deal with an algorithm that limits that communication and we were having that convert and it became less about bernie's own communication and more about facebook and this kind of culminated in the meeting post-election where um where they were the facebook executives in the room uh primarily their lobbying team was like one of them said well if you want to improve you could focus on this issue and this and you should do this issue and not this issue and Bernie was like wait you're telling me you should decide as a company what issues i talk to my constituents about and they were like yes and bernie just got up and walked out of the room he was like that's totally inappropriate and thinking about it like let's think about it, it that 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 level of inappropriateness where a giant corporation thinks they should tell a government office how that government office should communicate, the issues that government office should communicate with the American people on. Like, can we think for a second about how massively inappropriate that mindset is? And then when he, by the way, so he walks out, the other, the end of that story is, The most junior lobbyist in the room, who she turns and is like, "Well, your your boss is just a miserable old coot," (laughs) at which point I go to throw her out of the office because you don't get to you don't get to insult a senator in their own office and stay in the office, right? So I was like, "Please leave." And now, and the senior lobbyist kind of started apologizing, and this junior lobbyist goes goes. Look, I used to work for Chuck Schumer. He's a miserable old coot, too. And, look, I've been on Capitol Hill on and off for 20 years. I, I, my first job on Capitol Hill was in 2001. I have, I have been in hundreds, if not thousands, of meetings with constituents, with lobbyists, with other people. And, look, I, I don't think decorum is necessary, but I have never seen the level of ego and disrespect that I I saw from Facebook and it was we should run your world you should not uh, elected officials shouldn't be doing the job we should be we shouldn't worry about constituents and what they want it's what we Facebook wants that matters Ari, and that's crazy Ari we're running out of time
1: I have another break coming up here um, and And I was planning to end it here, but I, I I'd really like you to come back if you can for um, if you can stick around for a few minutes. I would
2: like to. I have to get on another call at forty five.
1: Oh, do you really? well, let's let's leave yeah. it there. Um, Ari, I always give uh, guests an opportunity to uh, let listeners know where they can find out more about you and what you're up to past, present, and future. Do you have a website you'd like to share?
2: Uh, I mean, you can fo- follow my social media handles, which are all at Ari Rabenhop, A-R-I-R-A-B-I-N-H-A-B-T. I'd really appreciate if people check out the book, The Fighting Soul, which, you know, is available everywhere books are sold. You can we'll get it from your local bookstore. You can get it at some of the big Hi, national companies Joe that we Bloom won't lines. mention. And Thanks, Ari. Keep up Sunday the good program. work. Thank you.
1: Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans. And soon...
5: Oh, dear. Honey, our car warranty is expiring again.
3: So soon? It just expired last week. You don't even own a car! Not now, Dana. Your father's on the phone. Hey! Mom and Dad, you're being scammed! It's a robocall! Scammers are using new technology and clever tactics to make more and more calls that look legitimate but are hard to trace. They can make it look like they're calling from any number, even from numbers of people you know. My robocall crackdown team is working with state and federal partners to stop the robocalls for good, but I need your guys' help. Don't trust your caller ID. Verify you're really talking to the person whose number appears when your phone rings. And if you accidentally answer a robocall, hang up right away. Engaging in conversation will only lead to more calls. Use a call blocking app on your cell phone that stops robocalls before they interrupt your day. And if you do get a robocall, file a complaint with my office online at mi.gov slash robocalls. And mom, dad, please do not give your information out to these scammers over the phone. They're just trying to trick you.
0: Well, at least they call. No, I get it, you're busy. But you know, Janine's daughter is a doctor. She calls every week. A
3: I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nussel Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection.
6: Welcome to this presentation
0: of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program. Gentlemen, who are we scheduled to interview next? I've been waiting around now for three weeks. (laughs) (laughs) Of course, our apologies. Our next guest is the
2: junior senator from New York. Senator, first we'd like to welcome you here today. We hope this will be a happy interview. No, well, I mean, that's, I don't think that that would be, I doubt if it will be. Uh, Senator, is the father of nine children and a devoted family man, we'd like
5: to thank you for taking the time out to come and speak with us here.
3: I'm delighted to see uh,
5: so many grown-ups all in one room. <laughs> uh, we continue the questioning with Mr. Swayze. Senator, I wonder if we might switch for just a moment and... Keep the door open. Well, sir, we normally close
2: the door for silence, you understand.
5: I'm in favor of keeping that door open.
1: (laughs) All right, we'll keep the door open.
2: Thank you very much.
5: Senator, as an out-of-stater, some people have questioned your motives for coming into New York.
2: I grew up here in the state of New York.
5: Well then, obviously it does have meaning for you. What exactly is New York to you and your wife, Ethel? Something that we will hand over to our children. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. St. Uh,
2: now that you're a senator, you must have some very, very exciting and vital things you plan on doing for the people of New York.
5: No, I have no plans. Surely,
1: surely, Senator, you have some ideas.
5: I just have no plans.
2: (laughs) Well, what do the people of New York need?
5: Well, I think you'd have to ask them. Senator, if we can can look ahead for just a moment, uh, do you think
2: your brother Teddy will one day be president? If he wants to uh, join me and where I'm going, I'd be glad to have him along. (laughs) If I correctly interpret what you've just said,
5: uh, when would you like to be president? Now. Well, I think you know it can't be done that quickly.
2: 1965,
5: 1966? No, obviously
2: you can't run for president until 1968. I don't think that's fair.
5: It's been rumored that you're carrying on a feud with the president. Now, of course, none of us happened to believe that. Didn't you pay him a visit just recently? A few days ago. Did you have a nice, friendly chat with the president? I showed up and he had guards to keep me out. (laughs) We understood, sir, that on a recent tour of the western United States, you visited Mount Rushmore.
7: I did, yes.
5: With the great heads of Washington, Jefferson, and Lincoln carved into the mountainside. That's correct. But as you stood there gazing up at that monument, did any particular thoughts come to mind?
0: I'd like to be a part of that. <laughs> Senator, many thanks for being with us this evening. Thank you very much. Incidentally, due to your heavy schedule, we almost took it upon ourselves to cancel this interview entirely.
2: I would have been delighted. <laughs>
8: If not vague Well then you've got to trust the CDC and listen well Unless you want to bid our free society farewell There is a Super bad, transmittable, contagious, awful virus And if we don't act quick and social distance It will mire us In a stretch of quarantine that lasts until July are super bad, transmittable, contagious, awful virus and if you got a better cough in your arm, and if you got a better. <coughs> now, back in 1918, influenza had its run. But half the dots were busy overseas with World War I. Today, we have mass media and scientists to say if you don't want this virus, well, then stay six feet away. It's super damn important that we practice isolation, because we're asymptomatic while it's an incubation. We'll overwhelm our hospitals if there's not mitigation. It's super damn important that we practice isolation. If we don't do it then we're all gonna die If we don't do it then we're all gonna die And so I hope at last you'll take this lesson here to heart Cause it's already scary and we're only at the start If you get bored just think of the immunocompromised Who can't go much of anywhere unless it's sterilised Oh, super bad transmittable, contagious, awful virus If we don't act quick and social distance it'll mire us In a stretch of quarantine The lesson to and a super bad, transmittable, super bad transmittable super Super bad, transmittable, contagious, awful virus. Super bad, transmittable, contagious, awful virus.
5: You pilots, get off of my lawn. We're trying to do a radio show down here. It's a Tom Sumner program, don't you know? Go on, go on, get out of here.